your, your bulletin and look at the order of worships on the left side. There's message notes on the right. And then down below is a brief biography of Brandon Woodard, who is here. And I'm not going to read all that. You can, you can do that. Um, Brandon and I met through a mutual friend, and I, I got wind of him relocating here to his hometown of Cincinnati with a heart to, to begin a new church and a church that would recognize the reality of what Christ has done in reconciling uh, people to himself, no matter who they are. That's certainly hopefully the message you got from our video, Christ is for Everyone. And there are some, uh, some barriers that exist, but we believe in the local church those barriers can be broken down perhaps most profoundly and most beautifully, and they ought to be. So we're really uh, pursuing that. But it's not an easy vision to pursue. Strangely, you think it would be nice. There's a lot of theory out there that sounds good, and when you start kicking the tires in practice, it's tough. So uh, Brandon and I are kind of in the trenches together, hoping to see that come about. And we wanted to uh, open up uh, this pulpit, as it were, to, to, to Brandon so that he could give a message here and you could become more acquainted with him and pray for him and hopefully... It won't be the last time that we see one another. So that's my, my brief introduction to, to Brandon. So Eric, if you come up and pray for us and read the text for this morning. I invite you this morning to quiet your hearts and pray with me. I'd like to open the prayer with quick verse from, from John, John first. Very familiar passage to all of us, especially during Christmas season. I'll read first in my mother tongue, and I'll read the English translation. So let's pray. Firman itu telah menjadi manusia dan diam di antara kita, dan kita telah melihat kemuliaannya, yaitu kemuliaan yang diberikan kepadanya sebagai anak tunggal bapa penuh kasih karunia. Dan kebenaran. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the only one Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Heavenly Father, we come this morning, we give you thanks that you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Thank you, Father, that you call us in your word to cast all our cares on you. So, Father, this morning we proclaim publicly to you, Father, that you are faithful, and it is our desire, Father, to bring glory to you. Heavenly Father, we recognize the needs that we have in our life. We do pray for members of our community, this congregation, Father, those who are in special need. Whatever needs that we have, Father, physically, spiritually, mentally, financially, Father, we lift them up to you, Father, this morning. We pray that you would, by your grace, Father, refill our neediness to us and refill to us also, Father, the fullness and your faithfulness. We pray for parents in this congregation. We pray for children. We pray, Father, also our hearts our, uh, for ministry to spread out the word, Father, we thank you for every opportunities, Father, that you've given us this year to be able to reach, Father, those who don't know you. We especially pray for our missionary at works, Father. We pray for Partners India, Ray of Hope. We pray for 
the volunteers in the children ministry in this congregation. We pray for Call of Love. We pray for many, many other missionary father that we have supported over the years. We pray, Father, that you would come specially in this season, Father, and that you would help them to continue to their work, give them encouragement, and give them also wisdom and peace. Father, as we quiet our hearts, as we prepare our heart to listen to your word, Father, I pray that you would equip us, that you would challenge and comfort us, teach us, Father, this morning, and inspire us as we learn more about your majestic way. Father, this Christmas season, would you come in our heart, Father? Would you fill us with the wonder of Mary, Father, the obedience of Joseph, the joy of the angels, and the humility of the shepherds? Give us the determination of the Magi, Father. And above everything all, Father, I pray that you would give us the peace of the Christ child. Heavenly Father, I offer this in the almighty name of you, Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bless us now and forever. Amen. So the text this morning comes from Luke chapter 2, verse 21 to 32. If you follow along on the Pew Bible, it is on page 1015. 1015 Luke 2 21 to 32 On the eighth day when it was time to circumcise him he was named Jesus the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of those or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arm and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. This is the word of God. Well, good morning. Sounds like we're still kind of recovering from last night. <laughs> That's okay. That's totally fine. I have four small kids, uh, and so we totally understand what it means to be a little bit sleep deprived. 
But again, I send uh, greetings uh, to you. Uh, my name is Brandon Water. Um, I am the church planter here in Cincinnati, planting a church called Reconcile Community Church in Pleasant Ridge. And so I'm excited to be here with you all. I'm thankful for your pastor uh, offering me this opportunity to stand in your place. Um, I came from a culture and the African-American tradition where we honor uh, the man who stands in that place as pastor. And so we want to uh, give honor to Pastor Mark for what you do and how you lead. We're thankful uh, for what you've done. And just to see what the Lord is doing through Redeemer is such a blessing. And so thank you for this opportunity. Yes, and the first lady. See, and... Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and I would say um, to your lovely wife, uh, thank you. One of the loneliest places in all of ministry is to be on the side of the man who's leading a congregation. And I am thankful uh, that in all of those nights when he's wrestling with texts or trying to figure out church business, uh, that you're right there beside him, lifting him up. Uh, he can't be the best pastor he can be if you're not there. And so thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you do. I'm also thankful, uh, like I told you, I have four kids under five. So Brooklyn, Brandon, I heard someone gasp. Yes, Brooklyn, Brandon, Braxton, and Braylon. Uh, and so my wife is here, y'all, and that is amazing. That, that is amazing. Um, I serve at another church on the interim basis, and they're always asking me, where's your wife? I said, uh, we got four small kids. <laughs> She, if she gets here, that's a blessing. <laughs> but there is an opportunity for us to go uh, to Luke chapter 2, a very interesting passage for us. Um, I want to pray over our time again, and then we'll jump right into it. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come to this point in our worship gathering to hear from you. Lord, I ask and I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. Uh, they wouldn't be focused so much on me or how I say things or uh, what I say, but Lord, I pray that it would be focused on you, uh, that they would hear the gospel, uh, that they would hear a word in such a way that would lift hearts, that would encourage us. If there's someone here today who's come in beat up by life, Lord, I pray that the word that will be preached today would be something that would encourage them to give buoy their spirits so that they can walk back out and be that salt and light in this community. And so, Father, give me boldness to declare your truths, and we'll be ever so mindful to give you all the praise, glory, and honor that's due to your name. It's in your son's name we pray, and all who agreed said amen, amen. and amen. A man entered a metro station one cold January Monday morning. And as he found his way to this metro station, he plopped down on the side of this station, pulled out his violin, and he began to play. This man sat for 45 minutes, played about six Bach pieces in this metro station. It's calculated that since it was Monday in January, it could be calculated that over thousands of people would have walked right by this man as he sat there and he played his violin. Of the thousands of people who would have come down there, only about six of them stood by for a second to listen to this man play. But shortly they would run off because they were trying to get to work. For 45 minutes, he played. 20 people dropped coins in and ran off. 
And after that 45 minutes, he loaded up his $32 he had made, put his violin back in his case, and as the subway was still crowded, no one ever even noticed that he had left. What the people didn't know, though, was who was actually playing that violin. You see, the person who was playing that violin was Joshua Bell. If you know anything about music, you know that this is one of the greatest musicians who's ever touched a violin. In fact, it was said that he played one of the most intricate pieces of music that was ever written on a violin that cost $3.5 million. And no one ever knew that this was happening in the midst of this metro station. You do know that, that this was all set up because they were trying to do a social experiment to see what it is it like for us in this society. And here is what they go on to say. They say these words. One of the possible conclusions from this experience can be that if we do not have a moment to stop and listen to one of the best musicians in the world playing the best music ever written, how many other things are we missing? Joshua Bell, one of the best musicians who had ever donned this earth, had just sold out a Boston theater two days later, two days before, where the average ticket price was $100. Was only paid $32 for his time. When we think of this story, it rings true in our spiritual lives as well. We are some of the busiest people in the world. It is known that we are always zooming from one thing to the other. We're always on the grind, as the young people would say. We're, we're always after the next thing. It's always one thing after the other and after the other and after the other. We're the most stressed out, caffeinated, sleep-deprived people in the world. We're all about getting it done. We're all about the grind. In fact, most of the books that we read, most of the people that we watch, and dare I say, even some of the people that we emulate, all propagate this notion that, that, that you gotta grind. You, you gotta get it done. It's all about efficiency, and hear me, work and efficiency are great things. I tell people all the time, especially young guys who are trying to pursue a woman and wanting to get married, I, I tell them, hey man, you need a job. <laughs> see, 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 working isn't bad. In fact, it, it, it's, it's a pre-fall gift, not a post-fall curse. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, you see Adam given a job. It got rough after Genesis chapter 3. And so inherently, work and efficiency and getting things done isn't necessarily a problem. It's when it gets out of whack that we have to readjust. And this spills out spiritually. Because we're always on the go, because we're always trying to get to the next thing, and we're always trying to think about getting it done, we come to God with this, with this, 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 this short attention span. God, we need you to answer right away. Hear my prayer right now. And if you're like me, you realize real quick 
But God don't usually operate on our timelines. <laughs> it's a truism of life. He's an amazing Lord. He's a horrible employee. We've bought into the notion that if if God doesn't answer how we want, when we want, in the time frame that that we want, then then somehow he's not listening to us. The truth of the matter is, that's not true. I, I I would dare to say that God is always listening to us. In fact, I believe that he's always pointing to us and showing us things even in the midst of the mundane moments of our lives. As we're running and speeding through life, sometimes God is using the everyday routines, the things that we just kind of, you know, just write off as opportunities for us to hear from him. I agree with Paul, Pastor Paul Tripp. He says uh, that God is in the midst of every aspect of our lives, especially the mundane moments of our life. This is important for us to understand because we're in the Advent season, and the tendency for us in Advent is to rush to the 25th. And I believe that Advent is here for us to pause, to wait, to canvas our hearts and our lives to see where God is actually moving in our life. Could it be that God has already given you exactly what it is you're praying for? You're just too busy to see it. He's probably already answered your prayer in the routine of what you're doing. And so we find ourselves in this moment having to pause, reassess our lives. Because I agree with Paul Tripp again when he says, he he says these words that I believe uh, are, are, are deeply, deeply encouraging and yet frightfully terrifying. He says, if God doesn't rule your mundane, then he doesn't rule you because that's where you live. And so this morning, I want to take us to a passage of scripture. When you read Luke chapter 2, 21 through 32, you probably fly by this passage. I've been to seminary, I've studied the scriptures and all these different things, and I always fly by this part of scripture. It's, it's surprisingly, quote unquote, boring. It's routine. But I believe that God has nestled this text here today for us this morning to share with us some deeply encouraging things that can help us in all aspects of our lives. Here's the big idea of this text. God uses the mundane, overlooked, and often unlikely of circumstances or situations and people to bless, encourage, and edify his children. If you get nothing else that I I, I say from this message, get this, that God uses the mundane, the overlooked, and often unlikely situations and people to bless, encourage, and edify his children. So this morning, we want to set out to answer this question, how does he do it? What should I be looking for? I've been moving so fast, and I'm not hearing from God, and maybe it's something off. I, I just want us to pause for a second. And let's try to answer this question from this narrative that we have. For the rest of our time, I want to tag our our text in this exchange, unexpected blessings, unexpected blessings. So how does he do this? 
He does it by first using our routine moments. Look at verses 21 through 24 again. And at the end of the eight, eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. If you have your Bible and you like writing in your Bible, underline the phrase law of the Lord, the law of Moses. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what it is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, by way of context, I don't want to assume that all of us had come to church last Sunday or even the Sunday before that. And so I want to bring us up to speed before we can dive into the richness of this text. Luke opens up and he shares this wonderful story uh, about Jesus' birth. Essentially what happens is this teenage girl named Mary gets this crazy uh, interaction with an angel and says, hey, you're going to be pregnant, okay? I'm betrothed to, you know, to, to my man and, and, and surely that's going to happen down the line. No, 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 it's going to happen now. But the Holy Spirit's going to do it though. And so... If any of us were in this situation, we would be just kind of like Mary. What? <laughs> but the text tells us that she believes. She, she can't comprehend it, but she, she believes. Then it tells us, just a few lines over, that Joseph stays with her. In that custom, he didn't have to stay. Because of this circumstance that was supposed to happen, it would have been shame on him. And that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. But, but Joseph stays. The text tells us that he is to be accounted for. So they make their way to Jerusalem. They're making their way to go get, uh, to go get um, Joseph accounted for. And on the way, it says that Mary's water breaks. So now they have to find a place to stay. But there's no place for them to stay. And so they end up staying in a barn-like structure. And it is there where Jesus is born. God, the person of Jesus Christ, the one who sat in heaven and had angelic beings worshiping him, is born in the most unlikely of circumstances. But not only that, the text tells us it pivots to these shepherds that are out in the field doing what they always do, just hanging with dirty sheep. <laughs> and next thing you know, they get a, a front row seat into a praise and worship set in heaven. And then there's this this, this amazing call that they're given, go see this child, which is encouraging for us in this moment. Because if you know anything about shepherds, you know that they're not the highest on the societal totem pole. People didn't really deal with shepherds. They stink. They deal with sheep. They didn't cut the mustard. They weren't the ones following rabbis. They weren't the sexy pick. If we were playing kickball, they would be the last ones to be chosen. But yet and still, these are the people that God chose, some of the first people to see Jesus. And that's deeply encouraging for you and I, because I don't know about you, but there have been people who had written me off, said that, man, you won't be much coming out of Lincoln Heights. But in God's economy, friend, Everyone can be used. Everyone has a seat at the table. 
You can be written off by man, but be written in by God. But then the text tells us, and we, 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 we finally get to our text, it, it tells us that they do what just like any other Jewish family would do. It's surprisingly boring. After eight days, Jesus is circumcised, just like every other boy that would have taken place. Mary has to go in and offer a sacrifice like every other woman would have to do. They end up having to name this child like every other family would have to do. And it's in these moments that something amazing happens. First, we see that they name this child. Now, for many of us, if we grew up here in America, we don't put that much stock into putting names on kids. It's okay. I know. I just let the air out of the balloon. To some degree, there's there's some importance. But for the most part, we like the name because it sounds good. We want the name to be unique. We may remember somebody. It's not to the extent of how a Jewish family would pick a name. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. In fact, they chose names that usually were tied to their faith. And so that's why there are a lot of common names. If you were to go into a Jewish community, you'll see a lot of people with the name of Joshua. Or you'll have David. You won't really see that many Jezebels. (laughs) You, you, You won't see that many Ahabs. Because names had importance. But not only that, this was reserved for the husband, the dad. The dad was supposed to choose this name for their child, especially their son. But the text tells us that they ended up giving the name Jesus. Joseph didn't choose this name. Mary didn't choose this name. God chose this name. This is interesting. You, you, you've already heard, you, you've probably heard, especially during this Christmas, Christmas time, what that means. Salvation is here. God is here in the flesh. Yahweh is our salvation. But not only that, it tells us, Mary goes into the temple as a law of the Lord. She offers these two turtle doves. Basically, that's telling us that they were broke. That's essentially what that means. They ain't had no money. But it's something deeper than that. You see, during the birthing process, fam, uh, women would become ceremonially unclean. So they have to offer a sacrifice back in those days to cleanse themselves. But then what they would do, if, if it's a boy, and it's the first boy, they had to offer that child back sort of like first fruits. And it's in this moment in the naming of their child, and in the dedication of Jesus, that Old Testament prophecy is fulfilled. This seemingly routine act that every family would have done ends up being something that radically changes everything. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says this, therefore law, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which could be transliterated into Jesus. What this text tells us 
what this shows us is that even in the midst of this situation, God uses anything. He uses any situation that we have. When you think about Jesus being given up as first fruits, your mind should start to, to, to wrestle with that. And, and when I think of it, I'm reminded of Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, when it says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You move over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, it says, but Christ has indeed raised him from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Dr. Robert Smith Jr. said it best. He said that for every New Testament point, there's an Old Testament picture, or in our case, a Jesus picture. God seemingly took these random events. Not only did he fulfill Old Testament prophecy, but he provided structure and depth and clarity to some of the doctrines that we hold about Christ as Christians. He doesn't waste an opportunity. He uses every situation that you have in your life. And so I tell my wife all the time, man, God's speaking even when you got to stay at home with the kids. So in the midst of dirty diapers, toddler tantrums, organized chaos, God is speaking. Friend, that nine to five that you have, that job that you love is not just a means to an end. The commute that you have on I-75 when it's backed up to God knows where, or I-71 or 275, no matter where it is, it's not just an opportunity for you to really pray for patience. It's God using it. The grocery store runs. The barbershop stuff. All of these moments, God is using them. In fact, he uses mundane and routine opportunities as classrooms for you and I to be enrolled in to see who he is and how he works. But the problem is that over time, we become desensitized to the moves of God. See if I can make it plain. In ophthalmology, they call this idea visual lethargy. This is what this means. The first time you drive down a street that you don't know, you notice everything. You notice all of the buildings. You notice the color of the buildings. You notice the trees. You notice the color of the leaves. You notice the stop sign that's on the right-hand side and not the left-hand side. You notice where the sidewalks are. You notice every little detail because this is your first time going down that road. Now, you go down at the fifth time, and, and you still are enamored with what you see, but you're starting to not pay attention to some of the intricate details. The 30th time you go down that street, you don't notice none of it. <laughs> you're just trying to get to where you're trying to go. And you forget all of the beauty that has taken place that, that made you like driving down that street in the first place. Spiritually, all of us can remember in this place, if you've put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, you can remember that moment when the gospel was real. You can remember the moment when you first believed. And you can remember right after that, just noticing all the little things that God has done for you in the black tradition, in the old African-American church. They would say, he, he, he woke me up this morning and he started me on my way. You, you, you noticed all of these nuances, all of the ways that he came through. But over time, 
You've been walking with Jesus long enough. We tend to forget. And if we're honest, some of us has probably relegated God's move in our lives to only the blockbuster moments. God, I, I don't see you. I'll see you if you, you get me out of this situation where I don't have to go into bankruptcy. Lord, Lord, I, I haven't seen you, but if you can just reconcile my marriage, then I'll know that you're hearing me. I got this test that I know I got to pass or I ain't going to pass this class. So, Lord, if you could just make it happen. The text is telling us that he's always speaking. So the question then becomes, how's your vision? How's your vision? Do you really believe that God could use your routine moments? Or is God too big for that? Or, or have you only thought of God as that one who comes through in the 11th hour? So he uses the routine moments. But then secondly, and then I'm out of your hair. Usually you got three points in a poem, but I only got two because the text <laughs> lends itself to two. He uses ordinary people. He, he uses ordinary people. I, want, I won't go into all of the depths of reading this text again. But we're introduced to this man named Simon. And on the onset, Simon's just an ordinary dude. <laughs> There's not much more information about Simon. I mean, I wish it was. I wish I could come with some more, you know, uh, he's an ordinary guy. But it does tell us that he was righteous and devout. And it says something very cool. The Holy Spirit was with him. Now, I know uh, that I definitely don't got time to go and tell everything about who the Holy Spirit is. And I know that Pastor Mark can do that way better than I can. And so I'm going to just give you the cliff note version of who the Holy Spirit is. He is the third member of the Blessed Trinity. He is not a force. He's not an it. It's a person. In fact, Jesus was so, uh, what's the word I want to say? He was so serious about the disciples knowing who the Holy Spirit was that he left John chapter 15 and part of chapter 16 to share with us who this person is, who was going to come when he left. And he tells us a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is. He says that, man, he will give you words to say when you're in the midst of persecution. You ever notice in the moments where you're trying to share your faith or someone's questioning what you believe and all of a sudden you start saying some things, you're like, I didn't even know that was in there. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Not only that, he convicts, he corrects, he disciplines, he guides us. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that he's the down payment, he's the seal. But then Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that he fills us. He sanctifies us. So this is the person who's taken this seemingly ordinary man 
and giving him an extraordinary vision. Text tells us that this man, one day you just got to just read your Bible in color. Just think about it. Simon's sitting there doing whatever Simon was doing. And next thing you know, the Holy Spirit just tells him, look, man, you're not going to die until you see essentially the Messiah. That's essentially what the consolation of Israel is, was that there was going to be this person who would come, who would be a king, who would be mighty, who would rescue Israel. And people literally thought that it was going to be a person who was going to be a king on earth that was going to overthrow the empire. But this is what the Holy Spirit did, ushered this ordinary man and told him this. And you know what's the blessing in this? God kept him alive so that he could see it. It says that he was a religious and devout man, but what we know fundamentally is that he was still a sinner. And because he was a sinner, although he was righteous and devout, he still did not deserve to see the fulfillment of that promise take place. But the grace of God, the mercy of God, kept him alive for him to see it. And that's an encouraging word for us to understand and to know, first, that God has a plan and call for all of us. Now, it may not be to to do what I'm doing right now, but some of you, it may be. But God has probably, he, he's called you to be the doctor, to be the lawyer, to be the anesthesiologist, to be whatever it is that God has called you. God has a plan and a call for you. No matter what people have told you, no matter what you've told yourself in the mirror, he has a plan. He has a call for all of us. We're all valuable in the kingdom of God even though Simon. But not only that, the encouraging word from this ordinary guy is that God keeps his promises. I've already alluded to it. Here's the promise. Here's the fulfillment. It doesn't tell us how long it took. It doesn't tell us what the life was like for him outside of that. All we know is that there was a promise made and it was fulfilled. See, many of us, we, we, we get tired in the messy middle. Where, where we, we know that God has called us to do something. But the promise is over here. And you're living right here. I remember it all too well. In Memphis, Tennessee, I remember being called to pastoral ministry. And I just knew that, hey, you be a pastor, you can just go preach. But I spent eight years in the messy middle. At times I thought, man, maybe this isn't for me. I'm setting up tables and chairs and filling communion cups. This doesn't make sense. God, you called me to be a pastor. I remember sitting in seminary and thinking to myself, oh my God, if I have to take another Hebrew class, I may not make it. (laughs) Are you sure you've called me to this? And many of us can fill in the blank in our own lives. You're on that path to to becoming that doctor. Or you can remember, you know, wanting to start your own practice or being a lawyer. And you're trying to get your own firm and all of these things. And you remember the messy middle. Maybe you're in it. You're living in already and not yet. You're like, God, this doesn't make sense. And the ups and downs you get tired of. But the encouragement from this passage is to know that 
you're going to get there one way or another. It's a promise. It's a promise. It's a promise. As one of my little brothers say, you can, you can do it the easy way or the hard way. But eventually it's going to come to pass. And that's the blessing of this, of this passage. But not only that, what we notice from this text is that as God kept him, as God allowed him to see the very promise at that point, he released them. What grace. To be able to say at the end of your life, I've done exactly what the Lord has called me to do. And we see this alluded to it in his praise, in his declaration, when he says, I can go now. That's the blessing of being in Christ. That at the end of your life, God makes no mistakes. He will fulfill the very promise that he has on your life so that at the end of the day, if you're in Christ, you're well done. Good and faithful servant. You can enter this rest. But not only that, God shows us with this ordinary guy in this ordinary moment is that God can use anybody. He can use anybody. He can use a murderer and make him a missionary. He can take a thief and make him a saint. He can take the homeless person that people step over and use him to share the gospel with thousands. And he can use you and I for his glory and for our good, which means that we can never count anybody out. We all have people in our lives that we have literally wrote them off. God cannot use this guy. God cannot use this girl. Can't nothing good come from them. But in God's economy, everyone's valuable. That's what this text shows us. That even in the midst of our mundane moments, even in the midst of our routines, even in the midst of everything taking place, he can use routines and he can use people. So next time you drive down the street and you see that homeless person sitting there with a sign, it could be God using that person to get to you. The question becomes, who have you written off? Or for some of us, the question may be, can God use you? Because in a room this size... I'm convinced that there's at least one person who has wrestled with their identity, wrestled with their worth and their value. And they look at themselves in the mirror with content. God, you made a mistake. 
Everything up to this point in my life has not made sense. It feels like life is happening in spite of me. And God makes no mistakes. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 does not say that God made some of them in his image. He makes no mistakes. So who have you written off? I end with this. Text ends and it shares with us the reason why there could be redemption even in the small things. The text ends in verses 31 and 32 with with something that that Simon says. And, And I love it because Simon, he didn't know when he woke up this morning that he was going to be enshrined in scripture as one of the prophets that gave a prophecy about Jesus and what was to come. Can you imagine? He didn't just wake up like, today is the day that this is going to happen. Listen to what it says. I'm reading out of the CSB. I promise you it's probably the same as the ESV or any other translation. Just a few words off. Listen to what it says in verse 31 and 32. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, all peoples, a light for revelation, underline this phrase, to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. Essentially what Simon just said (laughs) is that this child, this one, is the one that's going to save us all. Did you catch it? This child is the light. In this darkness, and it's interesting that they use this terminology because you would have known that for 400 years there would have been a period of silence or darkness. From the last book in the Old Testament to when we opened up in the gospel, it had been silent. God hadn't spoke a word. It was rough to be a Jewish person in this time. Oppression was going all rampant. It was dark. And he says, this child will be the light. It's an amazing foreshadowing of what's to come. It's almost like he teed it up for for someone to just knock this home run right out of the park. He, He set it up for John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten sons who, who that, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It set up Romans chapter 5 that says, while we were yet in our mess, meaning at your worst, meaning the point in your life when you hated God, he decided to die for you. What am I saying? Simon sets up this to be a gospel presentation. That because of this child coming down, redemption is possible. That all things can be made new because he came down. Let's not rush to Sunday. Let's not rush to Good Friday. Let's not rush to all of the other amazing things that took place. Focus on the fact that God came down. If he does not come down, Sunday does not happen. If he does not come down, man, 
Good Friday never occurs. If he doesn't come down, your life has no meaning. If he doesn't come down, the routine and mundane parts of our lives become this slow march of what's to come. If if Jesus never comes down, death is the ultimate slap in the face for us. But because he came down, redemption is possible. Because he came down, and as one of the Prince of Preachers, Gardner C. Taylor said, he became time-trapped, pain-eligible, death-capable for you. And because of that, your life can have meaning. Because of that, redemption is there. Because of that, the chasm between us and the Father can be covered. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, we all get an opportunity to be made new. Because he came down, your small, routine, ordinary things that get on your nerves, activities in your life can be redeemed. And so this Advent season, we're reminded something earth-shattering happened. That Jesus came down and put on a human suit to set in motion the greatest love story that could ever be told. So that you can sit here today and hear the Father speak in a still, small voice in the midst of your routine. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to be reminded that, Lord, you are speaking. You are speaking uh, in every aspect of our lives. Lord, it may not be uh, that you're audibly speaking to us, but, Lord, you use circumstances, you use situations, you use the word of God to, to, to point us to what it is that you would have for us. And so, Father, I ask and I pray that we would pause our busy lives long enough be able to canvas our lives to see where you are at work. Father, I ask and I pray that you would forgive us uh, for only relegating you uh, to only the big moments in our life. And for some of us, even taking credit for the the nuances that take place in our lives. Lord, we, we repent for the fact, knowing that, man, you are over all of it, that you use everything, that there's no wasted time here. Father, I'm asking and I'm praying. Lord, that you would open our hearts, open our eyes to see all that you are doing around us and through us. Lord, ultimately, we're thankful for Jesus. Because of him coming down, all things can be made new. And so, Father, I ask and I pray that we wouldn't run past the gospel, that we wouldn't run to other things, but that we would sit and rest in the fact that Jesus came down and died in our place and for our sins. That we're more loved than we ever could have hoped for. That you love us. That you care for us. And that you want us to share this good news with whoever it will be. Open doors and opportunities for us to do just that. And Lord, we'll be thankful and give you praise for all that you'll do. It's in your son's name we pray. And all who agree, say amen, amen. and amen.